0: W Media
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills Live, the show that loves to talk about abortion even more than Josh Hawley likes to talk about child porn. I'm Emoji Elawode L, and our three-headed Hydra is just two today because Liz is off, but my fellow Buzzkill and co-conspirator Marie Kahn is here with me to
2: go hard. Hello, everyone. Yes, it is a packed day. Tara Murther from the Women's Law Project joins us to talk about a research study she's conducted about fake clinics, otherwise known as CPCs. And spoiler alert, they're even worse than we thought.
1: Plus, Marie and I sit down with the hilarious Leanne Lord to talk racism, sexism, and ageism in comedy. And we may get to some abortion
2: talk as well. So much to unpack. But before we get to all that, let's check out some of the BS that's popping this week. We're kicking it off with a video of an amazing Kentucky legislator who dressed down the fucking ass clowns supporting a medically criminal 15-week abortion ban. Her speech is passionate. We will discuss on the other side.
3: Explain my no vote. Yes,
4: ma'am.
3: You know, I'm a diagnostic radiologist and diagnostic radiologists historically, and in in many places in this state, still do all of the first trimester OB ultrasound. So I am extraordinarily personally familiar with the development of a fetus in the womb. And for you to sit here and say that at 15 weeks, a fetus has a functional heart, a four-chamber heart that can survive on its own is fallacious. That is not true there is no viability you know it, it it i look around at my colleagues on this committee i am the only woman on this podium right now i am the only physician sitting on this podium this bill is a medical sham it does not follow medicine it does not even purport to listen to medicine. And for each and every one of my colleagues to be so willing to cast an I vote when what you are doing is putting your finger, putting your knee, putting your gun to women's heads. You are killing women because abortion will continue. Women will continue to have efficacy over their own body whether or not you make it legal. I vote no and I really, really apologize to the people in Kentucky that we are spending this much time and this much energy. When we have families in poverty, we have single women heading households in poverty at a higher rate than any other group in the state. And you all are not addressing that, you all are making it worse. Thank you.
1: Oh my God, Marie, I love this. She said exactly what we know about these bills. She touched on all the points. Like, it feels like we can just go home now. Oh, oh wait, the ban they were discussing, it passed in Kentucky.
2: Yep, of course it did. Moji, we need to keep electing more women like Senator Karen Berg informed by science, their constituents and compassion, and actually going on the record supporting abortion.
1: It's so inspiring also to hear a a doctor saying this. Anyway, Marie, I want you to keep this good vibe going with some more good news. What you got?
2: I am delivering or rather the state of Washington is. They are taking a publicly pro uterus stand. Democratic Governor Jay Inslee signed a bill last week prohibiting the use of lawsuits and other legal action against pregnant people seeking an abortion and against their providers and others who assist them. Why do we need this, you ask? Because the copycat obsession by red states in replicating Texas lawsuit option against those aiding and abetting abortion is terrifying. And other states are trying to shore up their defenses for the end of Roe. Protective legislation like this sends a clear message that abortion won't be stigmatized and providers will not be attacked or maligned by frivolous lawsuits. I also really wanna impress on folks that yes, Washington is doing this for Washingtonians, but also with a fervent recognition of the ever-increasing need of -of out-of-state folks looking for friendly jurisdictions to access basic reproductive care. Idaho, directly to the east, has a litany of horrific bans on the horizon. And Governor Inslee specifically encouraged those residents to come get care next door. And you want some even more good news? This legislation allows other qualified medical professionals, oh, think about that, to provide abortion care, like nurse practitioners, physician's assistants. And it includes the use of non-gendered language in updating state statutes related to pregnancy. Take that, Marsha Blackburn, you transphobic cunt.
1: Are we in the good place also? (laughs) Let Marie say cunt, like, you know, when she starts, she just, she just can't
2: stop. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Does this make me everyday Jamila Jamil?
1: <laughs> of course it does.
2: Oh. <laughs> we, however, of course, can't forget that the Pacific Northwest has more than one's daily recommended value of white supremacists, it's an alabaster stronghold, but at least some politicians are paying attention to abortion. And I should mention these measures have all passed. This is a done fucking deal. These protections will be in place this June. So Moji, dare I ask, are you bringing some goodish news also? I am
1: actually kind of. Um, Big corporations have decided to put a tiny bit of skin in the pro-abortion game. Citigroup and Apple have recently joined Salesforce, Salesforce, Match, Bumble and other companies who have promised to cover travel costs for US employees who have to find an abortion refuge like California, Washington, to end a pregnancy. Sounds good for some people who have solid jobs and insurance. Look, I don't not support this. Please, whenever possible, please look out for your own. But this, this is not a stand. It's a baseline to keep your employees from relocating. And it does not really help anybody else in these states. This is a very in my backyard and my backyard only. The smallest fraction of people in abortion hostile states will be helped by this. Most people who don't work for one of these private corporations will have to still have to beg, borrow, and steal their way out of the state just for basic fucking health care.
2: Yes. Damn, Moji. Yes. This is capitalism getting its way, pure and simple. Doesn't doesn't help us if you're pregnant. And if you don't want to be pregnant, we'll just, we will just going to fix that for you. So the nanny states, now Now it's the nanny employer. And how does this funding work? Many, in many cases with insurance, you have to get reimbursements. Abortions aren't cheap. Is this open to everyone? Your bank tellers, your night and hospitality staff, your security. So we got a lot of questions yet so, so little time in the course of a pregnancy. And,
1: you know, one Texas legislator has already sent a cease and deceased letter to uh, to City Bank. So this isn't smooth sailing for the corporation either. And I just feel like a a better use of your time would be to, I don't know, dismantle these fucking abortion bans. That's where I am. Anyway, that ends the good news portion of the show. (laughs) A few weeks ago, an alarming new study was released about fake pregnancy clinics If you are unfamiliar with what fake clinics are, they are organizations that advertise to pregnant people with the single goal of talking people out of having abortions. They're often placed near real clinics, but provide no health care and will lie to pregnant people about their options and intentionally give medical misinformation. So Liz and I sat down a few days ago with the author of a study and her research has uncovered new and insidious tactics that these paces are implementing um, that would not only block abortion access, but could also end up being used to criminalize people trying to access abortion care. Please welcome Director of Strategic Communications at the Women's Law Project, Tara Murtha. Um, Tara, thank you for joining us. Can you talk to us about your study and the terrifying findings you uncovered about
4: their tactics that go beyond what we laid out? Uh, Sure, thank you. Um, So what I think is most interesting about the study, uh, which looked at the crisis pregnancy center industry in nine states, uh, is that we saw some things haven't changed, right? CPCs have been around since the late 60s. Their primary goal is still to intercept people seeking legitimate healthcare. They use that uh, word intercept. Uh, That has shifted, of course, from mostly brick and mortar tactics like setting up shop near a legitimate provider, emulating signage, yelling on the street, things like that, uh, which still go on, but it's expanded into the digital realm, of course. So they've become a very digitally sophisticated uh, movement with a sophisticated infrastructure to target the people that they're trying to lure into their doors, or at this point, as we'll talk about, lure just into a conversation online because they're able to capture data that way. Um, But what's different is, uh, you know, this isn't your grandpa's CBC network. In the last 20 years or so, they've rapidly expanded in number and been elevated in power within the broader anti-abortion movement. They're really a key part of the three um, pillars of the anti-abortion movement. There's the anti-abortion lawmakers, the street protesters, and then um, the CPC arm. Uh, but another thing that we found that wound up being really significant, and I didn't even think it was that significant in the beginning, was uh, as they've expanded in number, they've also aligned. They've aligned into networks. And so those networks are steered by these broader, bigger anti-abortion organizations through an affiliation model. And that helps uh, the anti-abortion movement distribute anti-abortion talking points and false and misleading information and stigma in a coordinated fashion. Uh, for example, when they give them websites to open. Um, shop, the pages about the risks of pregnancy and um, abortion are some of the pages that they can't edit, right? So it's a coordinated path for distributing this rhetoric. Um, And in return, many of the affiliated CPCs send client data to the major organizations so they can continue refining how to target people. Um, And they uh, are collecting all of this information. Um, Privacy International has done studies uh, deep diving, and they found, for example, Heartbeat International, major player in this space, has created what they call, uh, they, Heartbeat calls, you know, a, a, a mega database designed to serve the whole movement. Their goal is to, to leverage big data. They say big data is helping all these other industries, you know, why not ours? Um, and so that's the sort of the path of client um, data, which is Reproductive history, sexual history, all of those things one might share uh, if they're at uh, somewhere that they believe someone is legitimately poised to help them with an unplanned pregnancy. So uh, almost 50 percent of CPCs in the United States now, um, in our study, we found are officially affiliated with one of the major organizations, um, which is, of course, just continuing to align and expand and streamline that infrastructure.
5: So I want to get to... Um what the data collection means and how they can use it and what that means in a sec. But what I want you to lay out before we get there is when we talk about expansion of these fake clinics, can Mm -hmm. you give us a little bit of what the comparative is between legitimate abortion providers and, and a CPC so people can really understand the landscape of this? And can you lay, after you lay that out, Can you tell folks where this money comes from for this like (laughs) explosion of expansion? Because I think that's gonna make people real mad.
4: Yes. So the alignment and expansion has gotten to the point, we have to remember that this is against the backdrop of, you know, in the last 20 years, public funding has been shifting to crisis pregnancy center networks. CPCs have become the, uh, the the method for the anti-abortion movement to siphon ever-increasing amounts of public funding um, from the people and to the coffers of anti-abortion activists. So it's public funding that's fueling the expansion. But that technique, that tactic has been coming from the same state lawmakers, because it's primarily through the states that have been passing all of these incremental abortion restrictions that have been eroding access to legitimate care. So now we have a situation where Uh, you know, several years into this onslaught of abortion restrictions, restricting access, simultaneously funding the expansion of this sort of shadow network of um, not legitimate medical providers has created a landscape across the country where on average there's three CPCs to every um, physician providing abortion care, abortion provider, Uh, and that really varies pretty widely state to state, depending of course on if they're getting funded to do so. Um, So it's three to one, Uh, generally a higher ratio in the south, though I'm working in Pennsylvania where it's nine to one because Pennsylvania was the first state to divert public funds to um, a crisis pregnancy center network and to date, uh, the Pennsylvania funded one has obtained more than $100 million and then is double funded with, like many states, with uh, TANF funds, which is safety net funds for low income people being taken away from the low income pregnant people and their children, given to anti-abortion activists who super pinky swear to help said people that they just took the money from.
5: And I think that's a good point. And if you're just joining us now, you're watching Feminist Plus Skills Live. I'm Liz Winston. This is my co-host, Moji Dell. And we're talking to Tara Murtha, who has done a fascinating study on um, the sort of the next level of insidiousness of crisis pregnancy centers, things that you may not know. Turn it over to Moji.
1: Hey, so uh, the Human Coalition is one of the biggest CPCs in the nation, and they are crafting legislation that creates this unregulated state mandated anti abortion hotlines that collect the data of, again, as you told us, anyone seeking an abortion. So, who will run these hotlines, and what happens to that information if it's not regulated?
4: Those are very good questions um, that we're just trying to assess uh, what that might be. Um, so, the anti-abortion movement seeking to scrape information about private people about their you know pregnancy status is not new right that's part of the anti-abortion movement uh forever leveraged um i mean as a reporter i went to a operation rescue meeting where they were training um elderly people to call and pretend they were setting up an abortion appointment and then to try to log which doctor was working then you know so so tracking and surveilling people and physicians is a Uh, storied tradition within the anti-abortion movement, but this represents really the new frontier. CPCs, in general, um, when they're affiliated, often share the client data with um, these larger organizations, whether you go there in person or just through a chat or a smartphone app. But now we're really at the dystopian frontier of this surveillance where Um, Even if you evade a chat um, or any sort of digital interaction with a CPC that would capture your data or don't go to a CPC, there's a new wave of laws called EMMA laws that are advancing. And they seek to actually force pregnant people seeking abortion care to talk to uh, an anti-abortion, quote, care agent, if that's not um, disturbing enough, who, they don't identify as crisis pregnancy centers in the legislation. You know, in the legislation itself, but all of the language echoes the requirements of CPC networks that are already state-funded. Um, you know, the alternatives to abortion networks that obtain public funding in at least 29 states now. So whether they call themselves a CPC, I and mean, what's a CPC mean? I could tell. Lemonade on my lawn and call myself a CPC. Um, so, but it's the same language as uh, the, what we now know of as, as CPCs getting state funding. So, the requirements for the care agent the care agent can't have collaborated with any organization that uh, gives support for abortion access, provided abortion. It's all these restrictions that couldn't have been on a board of an organization that advocates. So, Anti-abortion care agents will be the new incarnation, the new, new, new incarnation of what we know um, as the same thing forever of CPCs will be handling that. Um, and so you're being for the pregnant person would be forced to have a consultation with somebody who has devoted their lives to depriving that person of the very thing that they are seeking. Um, so that is uh, the current state of affairs. Those that bill has been introduced, versions of it. In at least five states now and actually already passed um, in Arkansas uh, and it's really the new um, it's a new EMMA bills are new but they're based on a uh, they're kind of a new incarnation of a bill that's been litigated for 10 years now coming out of South Dakota that also seeks to force pregnant people to um, talked to these uh, CPC activists, uh, and that was blocked by injunction by a judge who noted that it would uh, humiliate and degrade that person as a human being, um, among other stern um, and accurate mm-hmm. observations, yeah. Very accurate. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Tara, like this, these
5: interviews go so fast, but I just want to yeah. say, Thank you for this research. We're going to be linking to the hot sheet and to the research paper. If you want to read a 75-page research paper, I love you more than I think I've loved anything in my life. But the fact that on this is somebody please read it. We'll be putting it out there, but the hot sheet is really, really helpful. And I just want people to understand that if these laws become the norm, anybody seeking abortion would have to call a hotline and get disinformation about their medical health, everyone. You could not avoid it. And then the information they get from you, um, they could give you an identification number, it goes in your file somehow, it gets filed in places. And because they aren't licensed medical facilities, they don't have to abide by HIPAA. So I just want people to really understand that. And Tara, will you come back on again so that we can like deep dive more into this because It's not enough time, but it's enough time to get people motivated and thinking about it. And as you said, this this law might be the second most important law next to the overturning of Roe in the Dobbs case that we have coming down the pike. So we're going to be talking about it a lot, and we hope we'll be talking a lot with you.
4: Yes, absolutely. People do need to understand, they, and they, you will get, a, you get assigned a unique identifying number when forced to talk to this agent, and that goes into a state database. So um, we are now setting up state databases, tracking pregnant people uh, like Poland. Oh, my God. Well,
5: we have ways that you can get involved in exposing these fake clinics. If you go to our website, exposefakeclinics.com, it allows you to find all the different actions that you can take. Read Tara's paper, share Tara's paper. It's gonna be all in the show notes. Tara Murtha, Director of Strategic Communications at the Women's Law Project. Thank you for your
4: work and your research. Thank you so much for your time. I'm spreading the word. Whew.
2: Moji, when you said this industry was insidious, you are not kidding literally stealing money from the mouths of children through WIC and Tana funding or church-run sham medical facilities while they're collecting first-person pregnancy data from especially marginalized folks, oftentimes uninsured folks, pregnant young people, people who have experienced sexual violence and sexual coercion, folks that English may not be their primary language they utilize, these are parts of the communities that go to fake clinics. This is a huge violation in trust at so many points, and that's not even talking about how they go after abortion doctors. I,
1: I and just, and I really can't put too fine a point on it, but, and I, I feel like I'm alarmist. but we already see pregnancy outcomes criminalized, and these ML laws create paper trails that police can use to walk right back to a person whose pregnancy outcome they deem worth investigating. And like politicians don't ignorantly over insert themselves in any other kind of health ter- um, decisions, Marie. Anything else? Nothing else. You don't have to do this for a root canal. Anyway, I'm sorry.
2: <sighs> yes, yes. We're going to make this better in our space, at least. Coming up, we have the hilarious comedian Leanne Lord. But first, we're going to take a quick commercial break for a product that hasn't been invented yet, but is desperately needed right now. Stay with us
6: random fact that only you know because of your weird specific job there's about 750 reproductive health centers in america that provide abortions there's about 3,000 fake abortion clinics that pretend to be reproductive health centers but are actually owned by religious organizations and were created with the sole intent to dissuade people from having abortions and they dissuade them by lying offering them religious propaganda and giving them free ultrasounds in lab coats that they bought on amazon because there often aren't doctors, or any medical professionals on site at all. And to make matters worse, a California court ruled that because they're not actual health centers, they don't have to follow the laws and restrictions that apply to actual health centers. And a lot of them are getting funded by our government. I'm definitely not the only person who knows that, but I do walk around with those numbers rattling around in my head all the time. So if you think that's bullshit, because I definitely do, go to exposefakeclinics.com to learn more and to find out if there's one near you, because there probably is.
0: These days, it's hard to know what direction to go in when you feel the need to tell a transphobic joke or to gaslight a woman. Introducing the Moral Compass, the world's only navigation tool that points you away from being racist, sexist, and homophobic. These handcrafted treasures will help you handle these situations by registering your location and pointing your shitty instincts in the exact opposite direction. The unique design of the moral compass is the reminder we all need to guide us towards our better nature. And if that seems too difficult, the moral compass will point you in the direction of the nearest therapist. The moral compass also makes an unforgettable gift. It's the perfect redirect for that cousin who trolls the Wawa, raiding women as they pump gas. It's a roadmap for a change of course, for the boss who casually strolls by the intern's cubicle to tell them a sexually explicit joke about a donkey. And the moral compass can guide that neighbor who spends their weekends screaming at patients outside of abortion clinics towards the perfect cloud to shake a fist at. And if you act now, you can start today by replacing your old habit of reciting Bible quotes that best suit your litany of horrific biases with this exquisite limited edition moral compass. So if you're an enthusiast of Christian pillows, rare bitcoins, or commemorative catheters, the moral compass is the perfect addition to your collection. For only 17 installments of $29.99, the Moral Compass will get into your heart and get you out of places where you don't belong. Order yours today.
1: Welcome back to Feminist Buzzkills Live, the show that will never ask you if babies are racist.
2: (sighs) We need a refresh from the garbage. And our next guest is a comic who can hilariously talk about the black hole we are in while helping us climb out of it. You can check out her latest comedy set on even more funny women of a certain age on Showtime On Demand. Please welcome Leanne Lord.
7: Woo. Hello, girl. Man. Let me tell you, I felt. Hello, you guys. I felt that. woosa.
1: <laughs> I felt it when I saw it during the during the um. The uh, hearings, and I was like, I just, I just want to sigh for myself. <laughs> for myself uh, also commemorative yeah. catheter. Can we just, just have a round of applause for. commemorative, commemorative <laughs> catheter?
7: <laughs> and I gotta say, I, I, I love that commercial. I, I really would like to get that moral compass. As, and several of them to give us Christmas gifts or not even wait till Christmas. Like, hi, Why wait? It's Thursday. Why wait? We We're
1: not even at Mother's Day, maybe just for Mother's Day. You know what I mean? We're there. How about, yeah, how about that? Easter,
2: round the corner. Oh. Leanne, we are so excited to have you here with us. You reference within your work the isms, racism, sexism, and ageism, especially in your set, Even More Funny Women of a Certain Age. How has your ability to talk about and take up space on these topics been evolving?
7: Well, I guess my set, like any stand-up comic, it mirrors my my life. What I'm going through, I put on stage, because that's sort of how I, I process the madness and I don't end up, you know, at the top of a building with a scope. Uh, <laughs> so I, no, well, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. So, you know, it, me being able to talk I've been able to talk about these things more now because i know also know that it doesn't just affect me you know it affects other women as well i mean i got a comment um on when someone had seen uh even more funny women of a certain age which is now running on showtime uh we have three episodes or or three in, in the series i'm in the third one that we just taped um and a woman messaged she said i feel seen she said i'm 50 years old and i feel seen and that is just and it's heartbreaking that someone feels unseen because they've gotten older, but that's what our uh, our culture does. I mean, you know, for women, once the placenta dries, yeah, we're pretty much done. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, pretty that, much that is that really speaks to me on a weird level, having to get medical care, and I was told, oh, because the procedure I wanted was for older populations that it was it was too I was too old to get it basically in the con I wasn't old enough to get it in the context I was in medically. Like just that division, like oh, you're gonna go over here.
7: Wow! (laughs) Instead of actually looking at your situation for you. Oh right, yeah, we can't do that. We can't do that.
1: (laughs) We can't do that. So yeah, you you talk in your work about the just the critical need for representation, which you touched on. That, including like our whole selves, our nerd selves, which I feel like I had no idea you were such a nerd. Oh, I'm. (laughs) I'm a total
7: nerd. i have a total, and and you- here's the thing: I was a nerd back before it was popular. So for everybody that's freely a nerd now, mm. you're welcome. OG nerd. <laughs> OG nerd. OG nerd. I've been do you- doing the work from day one.
1: Do you find it difficult to incorporate this in your in your in your work when you're like building a set or telling jokes? You
7: mean my nerddom? No, I think people or do, see, it, see it immediately. You know. Oh no, you're gonna you're gonna augment your question. I was just like
1: I was thinking that, and just all like your whole self, your entire self, including your nerd self.
7: Well, it's it's interesting. Early in my career, I said, oh, I don't want to talk about race. You know, I didn't want to. I want to be a black comic. I just want to be a comic. And uh, yeah, that pretty much backfired. Um, <laughs> like like I've never been on BET. You know. Well, well, let me stop. Let me stop. They asked me to do it, but they asked me to do it for free. You know they were like oh, "Do it for yeah. your people i'm like mm, my landlord is my people um but you don't <laughs> as an artist also BT isn't free <laughs> right how about that how about that so i feel as an artist as an artist and as a woman you know as a person of color i'm you're always fighting it's very exhausting you know to to fight on all these fronts but then i get to bring all of those things as you say my whole self to work I'm self-employed, which is, you know, crazy. I can't call in sick. I know I'm lying, but uh, I bring all of those things on stage, and these are things that resonate with the audience. That's all comedy does. We get on stage, we say those things out loud that folks are thinking, and don't they can't say at work or they're gonna get fired. I get I, I get hired for saying that instead of fired. <laughs> so so in other words, I'm not I, I'm not ready for the cubicle anymore, everybody. I'm ruined for regular work because I'm gonna give you that face at the meeting like. Why are we here?
2: <laughs> Welcome folks, if you're just joining us, I'm Marie and this is Feminist Buzzkills Live. We're talking with comedian Leanne Lord, whose newest special just dropped on Showtime. I'm curious, Leanne, what are your goals within your comedy and how does that influence what you include as topics and what you leave out?
7: Well, my, my goal, and I, I, I almost didn't realize this from the beginning, but my goal has always been to enlighten and entertain. Um, if I can get you laughing and then maybe at the end or maybe as you're leaving or as you're going home, you go, hey, wait a minute, I think I learned something <laughs> I, Then I did it right. Um, so that that is always my goal. But in terms of the big picture, the, the tour that's coming up is really something I've always wanted to do. You know, people use stand up as a platform to do other things. And that's fine. You know, people want to write scripts. They want to be in movies. And I'm not gonna say I don't want to be in a movie because you know I I know how to swim if they need me an Aquaman two or three you know a girl will make that sacrifice you know I'll put down the bourbon and get in shape but but my dream was to do stand-up my dream was to write funny my dream was to get on stage in front of audiences that thing that most people don't want to do and they go oh my gosh how can you get on stage my thing is how can I not because I know what that makes people or how that makes people feel. Um, and I've seen that become more and more important over the years as we are dealing with such stressful situations. I mean, the number one killer in the United States right now is stress. You know, the number two killer is a dude on my block named Kwan. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Leon, we are running when out I, of time. I know, but we love, I know, I and it's like this, no, but also this just, we don't have enough time. It's just our show is too fast, but um, we, I just wanted to say before you left uh, and asked you this really quick question. Um, we were really excited when we heard your recent cosplay character is Ida B. Wells. We could not stop cheering. Who is your runner up persona? Oh, <laughs> well, I guess my runner
7: up persona right now after Ida B. Wells would have to be, since you see I'm a Star Trek fan, would be Michael Burnham. You know, the first, uh, well, not the first, but the first official, you know, Black female captain in that franchise. You know, how does my heart not swell every time she comes on screen? And they are dealing with with being women in power, being, you know, with mental health issues, with trauma, with grief, and still saving the universe. What? How is that not my girl?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much for joining us my
7: pleasure you guys and this did go by really fast so i'm gonna be in the green room and make go make it uncomfortable so
1: (laughs) (laughs) leanne and the other amazing comics of a certain age are taking this show on the road this spring so check that out marie that's the show so many teachable moments what you got
2: I think commemorative catheters are going to be a fun new kink. And I wanted, to <laughs> give, I wanted to give a little shout out to the Feminist Women's Health Center of Atlanta, Georgia. They have some great swag. Moji and I got to do their trivia a couple of weeks ago. It was wonderful. What about you, Moji? What's your teachable moment?
1: Oh, I am definitely telling my son, never trust anyone who drives a van or never trust anyone who calls themselves a care agent. <sighs>
2: Facts. That's it's my Parisian face. A big thank you to Tara Mirtha and Leanne Lord. Check out all things Leanne Lord at veryfunnylady.com.
1: And again, please read the short synopsis of Tara's study on fake clinics right here at slash CPC study. It's just like two pages. And then go to expo- exposefakeclinics.com to learn all the ways you can take action.
2: And if you want to help support Feminist Buzzkills Live and all of Abortion Access Forces work, make a donation at aafront.org slash donate. And if you miss us live, you can always listen to the podcast in pod form. This episode drops Sunday, wherever you get your pod fix. Make sure you like, subscribe and give us five stars so we can feel loved.
1: We hope to see you next week when Liz will be back and we will be joined by the incredible comedian, writer and actor Aparna Nancherla.
2: And March 31st is Trans Day of Visibility. And we welcome Aspen Rulin from the Mabel Wadsworth Center to talk about how trans and non binary folks navigate accessing comprehensive and culturally competent reproductive care. And what we can all do to expand the way we talk about abortion that includes everyone.
1: And we close out the show with a guy who exercises his right to show his whole ass by declaring women shouldn't have the right to show anything. <laughs> bye bye.
3: In my opinion, I mean, in, a, in the opinion of a lot of Catholics, traditional Catholics, like women, sh- a lot of my wife does not agree with this, but women shouldn't even wear pants. That's what a lot of traditional Catholics believe. And we're sort of trying to work up to that. We'll we'll see what happens.
1: Feminist BuzzKills Live is a production of Abortion Access Front. Subscribe to our YouTube at aafront.org slash fbksub.